Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Flukey from St. Peter Lutheran Church in Green, Iowa. Today is Sunday, March 6, the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Last week, we had Pastor Lynn Knoll with us as part of our 150th anniversary year celebrations, and we'll have more pastors connected to this congregation joining us for worship in a couple months and throughout the spring and the summer. But for the season of Lent, I should be here with you every week, and I hope that you'll be here too. Thank you for joining me today for this scripture and message. Speaking of Lent, I want to invite you, if you are around in the area, to join us for our in-person midweek ecumenical Lenten worship series on Wednesdays during Lent. We're looking at Psalm 23, Shepherd Me, O God. So this week, Wednesday, March 9, we will be across the street from here in the Presbyterian Church building at 6.15 for worship. So hope you can join us 6.15 on Wednesday at the Presbyterian Church. Otherwise, I hope that you can be here in person or watch again online next weekend as we continue in this season of Lent moving toward the cross and the promise of resurrection. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up, led him up, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone whom I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things that I think that I appreciate the most about the Lutheran tradition, the Lutheran understanding of faith, is that we are okay with paradox. Paradox, of course, is when two contradictory things are both true. And if I were putting up illustrations right now, I'd put up a slide with a picture of two ducks and you'd laugh. It'd be funny. Paradox. Paradox. You get it. But our tradition does not need to have everything always spelled out in black and white. We're, we are okay as Lutherans sometimes living in the gray areas of life because that's the way life is. We're not afraid of recognizing multiple things can be true at the same time, even if the two things or more are difficult to reconcile. We can have members in all kinds of different political parties because we recognize the Bible tells us some things clearly, like love your neighbor, and it also leaves many of the details of how to love your neighbor to us to figure out. We don't need to explain or solve every mystery of faith. 
Christian faith is full of paradoxes, right? God's kingdom is coming, and yet it's already here. You and I are both saints, forgiven and redeemed by God, and we're also at the same time sinners in need of God's forgiveness, people who keep turning away from God. In communion, the bread and the wine are still bread and wine, yet also somehow the body and blood of Christ. In his teaching, Jesus liked using paradoxes. A lot of his parables have these paradoxical sayings in them. Things like, those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. And the last shall be first and the first will be last. According to commentator Debbie Thomas, this story of Jesus' temptation that we're hearing today, and I love her approach to this story, this story is full of paradoxical lessons. So the first thing happening in today's reading, if you were paying attention, was Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And we're not reading these stories in order from week to week. We're kind of jumping around and we're starting a new season today. But it's important to know that immediately before this is Jesus' baptism. That's the story right beforehand. So Jesus is returning from the Jordan River because that's where his cousin John the Baptist has just baptized him. And at Jesus' baptism, he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove and God's voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. It was a great declaration of the reality of Jesus' full identity as God's beloved Son. And that idea of incarnation, the idea of God with us, well, that might be the biggest paradox of the Christian faith. Jesus is 100% human, and Jesus is also 100% God. Math is hard. It's a paradox. But anyway, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan and is led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He goes from this incredible high point, this moment of affirmation, hearing the voice from heaven, this is who you are, my beloved son, says God. And then he goes out to the wilderness, led there by God's Spirit, where he's challenged and he's tempted to abandon who he is and turn away from his mission. Three times Jesus is tempted by the devil, and each time his sense of identity and mission is challenged, and he experiences another paradoxical truth. So the first temptation is to turn some stones into bread, which is a great temptation because Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. He was famished. He was starving. And so he's tempted to solve the problem by miraculously making food, sort of magically turning rocks into bread. He's God in the flesh, so there's no need to worry about little things like hunger. Just say the word, it'll be fixed. But to give in to this temptation would, in a sense, be to deny the incarnation. Hunger is part of being human. Because we don't have the option of magically getting rid of hunger. I wish we did. But as humans, we, we can't do that. And so Jesus avoids doing so as well. It's, it's kind of like the idea of fasting during the season of Lent. Part of that practice comes from this story. Choosing to give up something. Maybe, maybe you're doing that this, this season as a spiritual practice. Some of our members do. Many don't. That's okay. The paradox 
of fasting is to know that you are fully loved by God and yet at the same time still be hungry. To trust that God will provide while at the same time experiencing the needs and wants that go with being human. Jesus passes the test by recognizing that bread, literal food, is not all that is needed for life. The Son of God chooses to remain hungry, like us. The next temptation is for fame and glory. The devil offers Jesus power, fame, authority over all the nations of the world. After all, as we just heard, Jesus is the Son of God, God's beloved, with whom God is well pleased. Debbie Thomas writes, The implication is that God's beloved need not labor in obscurity. To be God's child is to bask in glory under the stage lights, visible, applauded, admired, and envied. A God who really loves us will never abandon us to a modest life lived in what the world considers insignificance. That's a temptation we can understand. We're not God in the flesh. Don't, don't get that mixed up. But we can understand that temptation. Even people who have no desire to be famous like to be noticed, like to know there's a few people who really appreciate them. It's a good feeling to know someone's looking up to you. Every, everybody wants to be known. And of course, during his ministry, Jesus does attract crowds. People travel for miles to listen to his teachings. People follow him. Crowds follow him. But the crowds are a secondary part of his mission. Jesus' greatest work is accomplished when he is abandoned, alone on the cross. The act of salvation is accomplished when Jesus gives up his life, is put to death on a cross, crucified, the most humiliating form of death that the Roman Empire could imagine. Jesus once told a Pharisee named Nicodemus that he would be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The paradox is that Jesus' moment of glory, his moment of triumph, is when he's lifted up on a cross in humiliating defeat. As Jesus' followers, you and I are called to humility to follow in the path of Jesus. We're called to worship only God, not to not give our energy to playing the world's games of fame and power and fortune. We are called to a different definition of success, not to worldly fame, but to humble service. As Paul says, we boast of our weakness so the power of Christ may dwell in us. We're called to remember the identity given at baptism, you too are a child of God, and nothing can take that identity away from you. Hold on to that identity, no matter what happens in life. The third and final temptation, Thomas says, targets Jesus' vulnerability. God will command his angels concerning you to protect you, the devil promises Jesus. On their hands, they will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against a stone. The implication is that if we are beloved of God, then God will keep us safe. Safe from physical and emotional harm, safe from frailty and disease, safe from accidents, safe from death. I'll admit, this is the most tempting for me. I want to think that maybe if I just believe well enough, then everything will be okay. 
If I just have enough faith, the people I love will be protected. It is so, so tempting when I hear about bad things happening to look for an explanation because if I can find a reason why those people are getting invaded, why they must deserve it, or why those people are sick, what they did to deserve it, well, then I can know it won't happen to me. Maybe they just didn't have enough faith or something. After all, if I'm a child of God, the Bible says God's watching over me, right? The paradox is that on some level, that's true. We believe that on an eternal scale, everything will work out. God is at work for good in the midst of all circumstances. But that's not the same as saying bad things won't happen. Let's not be that naive. We know that bad things happen. The promise is not that whenever bad things happen, God's going to swoop in and rescue us and pull us out. The promise is that even though we are vulnerable, even though bad things happen, God still loves us. God is still present. God is still at work in the midst of whatever's going on. Bad things happen. People get sick and die. Accidents happen. Even wars and pandemics. And none of it stops God's work. Through it all, God remains faithful and loving. The cross, the cross that Jesus dies on, demonstrates God's love for us, and it demonstrates God suffers alongside of us. The cross is the ultimate revelation of God's love and presence with us. And the cross is not the end of the story. After Good Friday comes Easter. God does redeem suffering. God does bring good out of even the worst evil imaginable. Our God is in the business of resurrection and new life. In this story of wilderness temptation, Jesus commits to his mission, to God's mission of redemption. Jesus answers the devil's temptations by choosing, quote, emptiness over fullness, obscurity over honor, and vulnerability over rescue. Jesus chooses the path of loving, fallen, broken people like you and me. Jesus chooses to be on our side. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining me today for this message. If you would like to donate to support our ministry here at St. Peter, we'd really appreciate it. Go to www.stpetergreen.com giving to donate online, or you can mail in an offering check or drop it off at the church office. Now, receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.